You see on the screen there, there's a picture, not the title, but the picture, one of the scenes from The Passion of the Christ, uh, that movie that was made several years ago. And I love those scenes from the movie. Uh, they uh, draw images to our mind, and of course that's Jesus, uh, not Jesus, but it's supposed to be help us to remember Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and the shadow we figure in the background is the devil, even there with him in the garden, tempting him. So this morning we're going to talk about the temptation of Jesus. We're going to look first at one verse, Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, and then we'll look all the way through verse 11 before we finish, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And the verse simply says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now here we're introduced to something that's very familiar to all of us, and it's the matter of temptation. Jesus was tempted. I am tempted. You are tempted. Adam and Eve face temptation. And so the first thing that we want to observe about temptation is it is a fact of life. Temptation is a fact of life. It is a fact of the Christian life. Who tempted Eve in the garden? Well, the Bible tells us the serpent tempted her. And it doesn't tell us who that serpent was or what his purpose was really. But later in the Bible, we discover the identity of the serpent. We have to read all the way through the Bible. We, we figured it out before then, but lest there be any doubt when we get over in the book of Revelation chapter 12 verse 9, the Bible says, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So the devil was in the garden to tempt Adam and Eve. And here we see second the devil, it was the devil who tempted Jesus. Now, as we think about this, some people raise a question that I think is an important question, and people stand in different, on different sides of the answer to this question, and that is, was Jesus able to be tempted? Was he susceptible? Could he have fallen and failed? Well, I suggest to you, and this is the side of it I come down on, that where there is no victory, uh, uh, there is no battle or struggle. Uh, and if there is victory, there is battle and struggle. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He can sympathize with our weakness because the Bible tells us that in becoming a man, Jesus shared the weakness of human flesh. He was tempted, and his temptations were a battle. Now, some people say that Jesus could never have sinned, could never have. There was no possibility of him ever sinning. Well, I say to that, then he could never be tempted if there was no possibility of sin or failure. The, the power of temptation is that the devil attacks us in the areas of our weakness. And so the Bible says that Jesus shared the weakness of human flesh. He's able to sympathize with us uh, in order to resist temptation. In his temptations, Jesus had to be completely 
dependent on God. And the Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin, which means that he was victorious over every temptation. He never sinned. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, For our struggle, and he was not talking about somebody else's struggle, lest you think the Apostle Paul himself was immune for, from temptation. He said, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The word struggle, by the way, is a word that means hand-to-hand -hand combat, and it pictures a wrestling match between two people. So Jesus was in a wrestling match with the devil. That's what temptation is. It's a wrestling match with the devil to see who is going to win. So Jesus was tempted. I am tempted. You are tempted. Jesus was tempted by the devil. Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil on one occasion. Jesus said to Peter, uh, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. So even Peter was tempted by the devil. And that leads us to our next conclusion. Since Satan asked permission, we have to say that he was granted permission to sift Peter. Therefore, we say that temptation is allowed by God. It's allowed by God. doesn't come from God. In James chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says, Let no man, when he is tempted, say, I'm being tempted by God. For God can, cannot be tempted by evil, and neither does he tempt anyone. But it's clear from Scripture that God does allow us to be tempted. He allowed the devil to tempt Eve in the garden. He allowed the devil to tempt Jesus. He allowed the devil to tempt Peter. And you look at the book of Job. Read the book of Job and see what God allowed the devil to do in Job's life. The Bible clearly says here, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It was the express purpose of God for him to be tempted. And the Bible says that he, what the devil does is he uses our natural human desires and he orchestrates all his forces using our human desires to bring us into sin. In James 1.14, the Bible says each one is tempted when he or she is drawn away by his or her own lust and enticed. So the devil uses our natural inclinations, our dreams, however noble, and even tempts us in the area of our faith in God. Number four, there is no safe place against temptation. You can mark that down. Not in this world, there's not. You read of those who built monasteries in the wilderness and became monks. They did so to escape the world and its, and its desires, and they were still tempted in those monasteries. They were not protected against temptation. The devil found Jesus in the wilderness, and he will find you. He will seek you out wherever you are, probably already has, maybe even at this moment. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter said, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring 
lion seeking someone to devour. So Jesus was tempted. I am tempted. You are tempted. The devil tempted Jesus. The devil tempts me. The devil will tempt you. God allowed Jesus to be tempted, and he will allow you to be tempted. There is no place, no safe place to hide from temptation. The devil will find you. He will seek you out. It is his passion to seek you out and to see you fail and to fall. Now, knowing that this was a battle Jesus would face, the Spirit sent him in the wilderness to be tempted. He sent him to face his enemy and our enemy. Now, lest you think that Jesus' temptations came only at the end of this period of 40 days, the Bible clarifies in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 13, where the Bible says, He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by the devil. So they came again and again. And Luke says in chapter 4 of Luke, verse 3, that when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus' temptations were not confined to that 40-day period, nor did they come at the end of that 40-day period, as, as you see pictured here on the screen. The devil was always in the background, probably also in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was struggling in prayer to tempt him. So we say next that the devil tempts us during seasons of opportunity. And what we find in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 uh, is that while Jesus was tempted throughout that 40-day period, a series of more intense temptations came at the end of that 40-day period of fasting. That was the devil's opportune time. Now, the period of fasting itself is, is a temptation. What was Jesus tempted to do while he was fasting? Well, he's tempted to eat. He's tempted to eat. You ever been tempted to eat, tried not to eat? It's pretty tough. Well, then if you've gone several days without eating, if you've ever been on a fast of any kind, if the doctors ask you to fast, you know when that thing's over, you're ready to go eat. But think of two or three days of not eating. You're ready to go eat. Think of 40 days of not eating. Uh, Jesus was ready to go eat, and now he finished this 40-day period, and he could eat. He could eat whatever he wanted. He could eat whenever he wanted. But the problem was there's no convenience store. There's no McDonald's. There's no Burger King that he can just run to and grab a bite to eat. So he's in the wilderness. And now come to verse 2 of Matthew chapter 4. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... He then became hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now while this seems to you maybe to be a trivial temptation, then you've never been without food days at a time. Not only was it a temptation to, to satisfy his ferocious hunger, but to do it through the use of his extraordinary powers that were his by virtue of being the Son of God. Now, your question might be, could he have done it? Could he have taken stones and turned them into bread? Well, this was no problem for Jesus. You remember later he feeds 5,000 with five loaves and, and two fishes. The question is, should he have done it? What if he had done it? What would have been the sin of providing for himself when he was hungry and, and he could what is wrong with eating when you're hungry? Well, there's no sin in eating when you're hungry. The sin for the Lord Jesus 
would have been ceasing to depend on God and trust God. Uh, and by the way, he had no doubt about who he was, and I'll explain that to you in just a minute. The devil was not make him, trying to make, uh, make him doubt who he was, rather to tempt him to get ahead of God's own method of provision, and he does the same thing with us. So he's saying, since you are hungry, why don't you go ahead and do this your way and not God's way? Why don't you turn these stones here into uh, four or five loaves of hot, fresh, buttered bread? You haven't eaten in 40 days, and I know you're hungry. You can do it. Go for it. Now, let me ask you, how often has the devil tempted you to do it your way rather than God's way. In order, in order, uh, so let's use an illustration. The devil might come to a young couple who's dating and say, don't wait till after you're married. Go ahead and satisfy those God-given desires now. Feed those desires. After all, you can. You have the opportunity. You're ferociously hungry. Go ahead and do it your way and not God's way. It's not a big deal. Isn't that what Eve did in the garden? One day she was ferociously hungry and she was looking at all the trees in the garden and the devil had her focus on just one that God had prohibited. And he said, you're hungry. Doesn't it look good for food? And she said, well, yes, it does. He said, well, grab a bite and try it. And she did, and the rest is history. How did Jesus respond? He said, look, devil, bread's not everything. Bread's not joy. Bread is not peace. Bread is not happiness. Bread is not life. Uh, bread is not even man's greatest need. Jesus said bread, but what could we put in the place of bread? We could put money there and we could say, hey devil, money's not everything. Money's not life. Money's not joy. Money's not peace. Money's not happiness. Money's not even life's greatest need. And since sex is all the rage in our culture today, let's put that word there. Sex is not life. Sex is not joy, it's not peace, it's not happiness, it's not even man's greatest need. Why, why go my way rather than God's way? God has a way for me to find life and joy and peace and happiness and salvation. Jesus chose to make his deepest human desires subservient to the will and ways of God. Somewhere in your life, the devil is tempting you, maybe he's already convinced you to satisfy your hunger or your anger or your need outside of God's will and, and, and word. That's sin. That's not what Jesus would have you do. And if you've done that, what you need to do is reverse course immediately. So we see here, Jesus was tempted. I am tempted. You are tempted. The devil tempted Jesus. He tempts me. He tempts you. God allowed the devil to tempt Jesus, he will allow me to be tempted. There's no safe place against temptation, and the devil never quits. He's always looking and lurking for an opportunity to make you fail and fall. Next, the devil will tempt you by twisting God's own promises. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, 
you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I told you there was no safe place against temptation. If you wanted to find the safest place in this church to be free from temptation, you might think you could go back in the back and go into the prayer room and there you would be safe against temptation. Or you might think that you could come here to the altar and kneel and here you would be safe against temptation. You're not safe from temptation while I'm preaching this sermon and I'm not safe from temptation while I'm preaching it. There's no safe place against temptation, not in this life. The devil can tempt you. And what the devil might have been doing in this case is reminding Jesus, first he quotes scripture to him. This is a scripture out of Psalms that he's quoting to him. And then he might have been reminding him of a specific situation in scripture where the prophet Elijah was weary and exhausted and discouraged. And he lay down and prayed that he might die. And instead God sent angels to minister to Elijah. So the devil is saying, God has promised angels. God sent Elijah angels. Where are your angels? Why don't you flush them out and make them show up? By the way, in every instance when the devil says, if you are the Son of God, in the Greek they're conditional sentences. They always, they begin with if and they expect an answer. One conditional sentence begins, if you are and you're not. The other conditional sentence begins, if you are and you are, and this is that one. He's not saying if, he's saying since. Since you are, I know you are, you know you are. We both know that you're the son of God. We both know that you deserve this. We both know that you can. We both know that God has promised. And so what you just need to do is you need to decree and declare that promise. Now, sometimes when you turn on the TV... You hear a preacher on the TV, that's exactly the words they use. You need to decree and declare. You need to decree and declare this promise from God because God is honor bound to honor his word. Only when it's right. Not when the devil is twisting it. Not when the devil is poking your face and saying, why don't you put God to the test and see what he'll do. You need to be very, very careful because the devil can tempt you by twisting the word of God. Someone asked me this week, they said, Brother Eddie, I was listening to a teacher the other day, and he said, this was in a Baptist church, by the way, and he said, the reason your prayers are not answered, you're not using the right trigger words. God has trigger words that you need to say. You need to, you need to use the right trigger word to address God. And then there are trigger verses in God's word. There are no trigger words. There are no trigger promises. What you do is you trust God. You wait on God. You depend on God and on God alone. That is faith. And so Jesus said to the devil, he said, yes, I'm hungry. I'm ferociously hungry. I have no food, but God will feed me in his time. God will provide for me. I don't have to test him. All I have to do is trust him in his time. He will send his angels and meet all my needs. And then comes this third and final temptation, and we'll look at it, and then we'll close. And I find this temptation to be 99.9% effective Every time the devil uses it, the devil will tempt you to worship someone or something other than God. 99.9% .9 effective. You say, I would never do that. But you have and you are. Verse 8, 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, we don't have to speculate how this took place. Did, did he make Jesus climb a high mountain? You don't have to speculate that because you know how, G, how the devil can take you places in your mind and offer you things and opportunities, and you don't have to go anywhere, but you've been a long way thinking about it. What was he offering Jesus here? All the kingdoms of the world. Prosperity and popularity and pleasure and prominence. You just saw a king, I guess, you, at least you saw news about it. You saw it on the screen or on the phone somewhere. You saw King Charles. He's, he's king of a tiny little island that we used to belong to, but we decided to come over here because we didn't want any king but Jesus, at least we didn't used to. He didn't say, I'll make you king of England. He said, I'll make you king of all the world. You'll be king of the world. If you'll just fall down and worship me. Just bend your knee once and do this. Could you be tempted to do that? Well, let me remind you that any time you put anything before God, any passion, any pursuit, any priority, in exchange for power, popularity, pleasure, prominence, you've made a deal with the devil for what he can give you. You just think how many people today said, the devil said, today, you know what you need? You need rest. You need rest. That's what you need. You're tired. You're so tired. You need rest. Why don't you just stay home from church today and I will give you rest. Hmm? Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And some of you, you think, well, you know, if, if I give my children this opportunity, and, and we don't go to church, but they have this opportunity, then this will advance them to the other opportunity, and it will give them. That's the way the devil works. You do this, and I will give them that. Let me take you to an illustration and we'll close and get to the end of this message quickly. A young soloist uh, had given his heart to Christ. He sang, had a wonderful voice, and he was singing gospel songs and somebody heard him. Somebody up in New York. And they invited him to come and sing for them at a radio station in New York and they said, look, if you're good enough, we'll give you a contract and he'll give you opportunity to do all sorts of things. So he went, he sang. And they offered him a contract. You know what flashed before his eyes? The same thing that would flash before your eyes. I've got this wonderful voice. I'm going to be the next American Idol, television, movies, fame, fortune, opportunity. And it was a tremendous temptation for him to walk that road. Well, when he came home, his mother, who knew that God had called him to sing and to sing for him, was concerned that he might take that road. She didn't try to convince him to do otherwise. She just prayed, asked God, God, please help him to know the right thing to do. 
Help him to honor you and to seek you and to seek you first. She did do one thing. She put a little poem on the piano. A little poem that she found. She put it on the piano and said, God, help him to see it and read it. And he came home and he saw it and he read it. And he sat down on the piano and he began to play notes and he wrote a tune that fit that song. Here's the song, the poem. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And he chose Jesus over glitter and glamour. He chose Jesus over worldwide fame. Said no to the contract in New York. A few weeks later, a radio station in Chicago contacted him. It's a different kind of radio station. The Moody Bible Institute had a station called Moody Radio and they contacted him and they invited him to come and sing for a program called Songs in the Night. And he went and sang for their program and while he was in Chicago, he met another young man who was in town at that time going to college. That young man's name was Billy Graham. The other young man's name was George Beverly Shea. George Beverly Shea and Billy Graham teamed up for an evangelistic ministry that touched the world for God's glory. Now you know the rest of the story. One man who said no to the devil and the opportunity that he gave him because God had something better. What's the devil offering you that would draw you away from your commitment to Christ? What's the devil offering your children? Or what's he told you that your children can have apart from being committed to Christ? Come unto me and I will give you. Jesus said, if you come to me, I will give you rest and joy and peace and happiness and life and salvation and eternity in heaven with me. The devil can give you none of that. Let's pray.